Hey, good morning. Before you sit down, why don't you take a couple minutes and greet one another this morning. Say hello to each other. greeting time this morning. I'm trying to, as you guys are greeting each other, I'm trying to look at each section and go, which one's the trouble section today? Which one's going to cause me trouble? No, I'm just teasing. The middle one? Is that, is that this one right here? Yeah. All right. Hey, while you're getting settled, just a couple of reminders. Men, don't forget to visit the men's table out there and talk to Woody. Pick up your devotion for the month, the, the word for the month, and all the scripture verses, and then also uh, sign up for the men's retreat coming up this summer. And then today, uh, I really want to begin to nail down uh, who is even contemplating, interested in uh, baptism, because we need to uh, give uh, Emery and Brenda a general idea of how many people are going to be baptized, and that's coming up not next weekend, but the weekend after on Saturday. So the last Saturday of April. So if, if you're at all interested, thinking about it, contemplating it, would you please meet with me? And listen, I'm willing to stay as long as it takes to either meet with folks as a group or even talk to you individually. In fact, I know there's some children over in the children's ministry that will be coming over after the service to talk with me about baptism and just to make sure that, you know, uh, that they're good with that and what that's all about. So I will take as long as need to be taken today to begin to figure out who exactly, you know, adults, children, who exactly is going to be uh, baptized in a couple weeks. But I would encourage you to think about that. If you've never been baptized, or as I said earlier, even if you were baptized many years ago or baptized as a child, but you'd like to be rebaptized, I have no problem with that. I've done that many, many times over the years as well. How do we begin? Let me say this. What are you doing for the next five months? Because we are going to start a journey today that's going to last about five months. It's going to be a journey in the book of Romans. And this journey is going to be exhilarating. It's going to be challenging. In some ways, it might even be unnerving at times. But I guarantee you this. If you join me, in this journey through the book of Romans over the next five months, your life will never be the same. 
I can guarantee you that. Because obviously this is the first Sunday in this new series, I just want to take a couple minutes and sort of lay a foundation that we're going to build on for the next five months. And I want to begin by by saying this. Many people, when they approach the book of Romans, and they see that Paul is using the word gospel and salvation an awful lot, that they limit the definition of those words to just describing, say, coming to a personal relationship with Christ. And I want to start us off in the book of Romans today by saying, I, I don't want us to carry such a narrow view of the gospel or of salvation with us through this book. Because Paul's definition of the gospel and salvation is much broader than that. Certainly it includes the truth that's needed to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's so much more than that. Because we miss the primary thrust of this book if we limit it to those definitions. Because Paul here is not writing this letter to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ in Rome. He's writing this to a group of Christians uh, in Rome who already have, obviously, a relationship with Jesus. So that totally changes the perspective for many Christians about this wonderful letter. Here's how I want to begin today. Everyone in the world that's ever been born eventually has what we call a world view. What is a world view? I like to describe it as the scaffolding that we have begun to erect throughout our life in our minds that helps us as we go through life and navigate life to make sense of life and to be able to find solutions to life's problems. So obviously, our worldview is really important (laughs) because that's how we're going to interpret everything that we see, everything that we come in contact with, everything we experience is going to come through that filter of our worldview. How do we make sense of things and how do we find solutions to life's problems. Now the Bible has one letter whose purpose is to declare our Christian worldview. And that is Paul's letter to the Romans. That's what the book of Romans is all about. It is basically setting forth for those of us who say we are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, what is or what should be our worldview. How do we make sense of things? How do we find solutions to life's problems? How do we interpret things? And Paul starts out this letter of a worldview about speaking to us on the subject of surrender of all things. Why does he do that? Well, for many Christians... Instead of following Christ, in reality, many Christians ask Christ to follow them instead. 
And what Paul is starting out the letter of Romans right away and saying is that's not the way our worldview should be. That, that's totally upside down. That's not going to make sense of anything and you're not going to find a lot of solutions to life's problems. If you're in the lead and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to come on board with where I want to go. I want you to follow me. It's totally the other way around. It's learning for us to surrender to the leadership, if you will, of God in our lives and to follow him. Jesus even said that to his earliest followers when he said, come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. To illustrate this concept further, I want to take you back just very quickly to a Old Testament story that we all know very well. God brought Israel out of Egypt quickly, but it took years to remove Egypt out of Israel. You see, Egypt stood for the ways of the world, and therefore the values that they had learned in Egypt all those years the priorities of the Egyptians, the perspective of the Egyptians was actually ingrained very deeply in the Israelites. And even though God delivered them physically out of Egypt and they were delivered, they weren't surrendered. It took years for God to remove that out of them. And that's why, instead of going into the promised land like God intended, they wandered and wandered and wandered for this reason. They were saved. They had been delivered. They had been saved out of slavery in Egypt. But they weren't surrendered. Saved, but not surrendered. And Paul is saying to the Romans and to all of us who now want to get into this letter and begin to build and, and, and construct a Christian worldview, he says, guys, as people who claim to be Christians, as people who say, I'm saved, God has delivered me, then where do we begin We must begin with surrender. That's where it's got to start. And one of the reasons why Paul says it's got to start with surrender, even before he gets to some other things, is because he's going to talk to us about some tough things in the weeks to come. I mean, he's he's going to nail us right between the eyeballs. And if we're not surrendered, then we're going to, we're going to chafe, we're going to resist, we're going to, we're going to struggle against what he's sharing with us from God because we're not surrendered. And therefore, like the Israelites, even in our life, if we're not surrendered, we as Christians can tend to just wander and wander and wander and, and sort of spin and never really make any progress. Because what Paul is saying is it's one thing to be delivered. It's one thing to be saved. It's a whole other thing to be surrendered to God 
and to really move forward and experience all that God has for us. Like he did for the Israelites when he said, I've got this promised land waiting for you. Go and inhabit it. And it took years for them even to get to a place where they could enter. Because again, he quickly delivered them out of Egypt. But it took years to remove Egypt out of them. The values, the perspectives, the priorities of Egypt were ingrained within them. That's why even when they thought, well, Moses isn't coming back, what did they all of a sudden do? Turn to idolatry. Because it was idolatry, even as the people of God, it was idolatry that was all around them for 400 years while they were subjected to the uh, Egyptians. And so what did they default to? What did they go back to? What had been ingrained in them, you see. So I hope today that we will begin a journey that begins with surrender. And only you and I can really answer that question today. And that question would be, am I saved and not surrendered to God? Or am I saved and truly surrendered to him? And Paul's going to begin to talk to us about what that looks like and what that means by using his own life as an example. And let's also as we begin this study, remind ourselves of who Paul was. Paul was a brilliant man. He knew at least five languages fluently. He was educated in the greatest schools of his day. This man was not, you know, just some fly-by-night anybody in his society This was a man that would have been able to hold his own in any debate, would have been able to hold his own with anybody on an intellectual level. And he came to faith in Christ. He said, I realized real early on that it wasn't enough for me just to say, okay, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin Set me free, as we sang about this morning. Forgive me. Let me have this personal relationship with you. But he realized that his response also meant, I have to be willing to surrender to this God. And what's that look like? So notice in chapter 1, verse 1, he begins by telling the Romans that this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. The word slave here means one who is bound to another. One who willingly commits himself as a servant to another. Paul said, that's how I describe myself. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the Romans and all of us to understand that we will serve someone or something. Therefore, I can say, I don't serve anybody. You know, I'm not serving Jesus Christ. But the problem is that if we're not going to serve Jesus, we will serve someone or something. That's how God created us. In fact, Tuesday night, going back to the message out of the book of Revelation, I shared with those on Tuesday night, we were created by God to be worshipers. 
And therefore, we will either worship God or we will end up worshiping something or someone else. There is no such thing as a human being who doesn't worship. We will worship something or someone in our lives. And if we don't choose to worship God, we'll worship something else. Paul is reminding us, if we don't choose to serve Jesus Christ, then we'll serve something or someone else. And what Paul's going to try to remind all of us of through this letter too is that when you and I serve Jesus Christ, we couldn't ask for a better master. Because he always has, unlike other masters, our best interest at heart, our highest good. As he even told his followers, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You follow me, you're going to find out that you'll be more fulfilled and satisfied. Because again, what Paul's going to say throughout this letter is, we were made for Jesus Christ. And that life is empty and futile until we are surrendered to Jesus Christ in our life. So he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Notice also in this word, though, that this speaks about one's free will to choose who I serve. This is not a word that speaks about... I'm being forced to serve Jesus because Jesus or God won't ask any of us or won't force any of us to serve him. It's our choice. It's our free will, which God built in to that. That's, again, part of our worldview is we know that God doesn't force any human being to do what God wants He reveals what his will is and what his right standard of living is, what his righteousness is. And he has clearly done that, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. But man has to make that choice of I will either choose to do this, I will choose to surrender or not. And so Paul said, I got to a place where I chose to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, to literally bind myself to him and say, Jesus, wherever you take me, I'll follow. And so I want you to notice in these first seven verses, some key words that Paul uses to describe the whole concept and subject of surrender. So he starts out by saying, first of all, he's a slave of Christ Jesus. Then next he says, I'm called to be an apostle. There's the second word. And the word apostle means one who's sent forth on a mission on behalf of someone else. In other words, an apostle was never one that went on his own or that went with his message to others. It was always someone that was sent by someone else or on behalf of someone else. So even in that word, we see surrender. Paul's saying, I'm an apostle, which means, again, I'm taking a message to people. That's technically what the word means. I'm sent on a mission, but it's not my mission. I I didn't come up with this message. This is a message that God came up with, and he just wants me to share. And I am surrendered to that, Paul says. Which is why he goes on to say, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. I have a privileged purpose, like all Christians do. To share God's revelation, God's message 
to mankind. That's in essence what the gospel is. Again, don't limit this word gospel to just specific truths that can bring a person into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is much bigger than that. It actually embodies all that God has revealed about himself, about his plan, about his purposes and all of that. That includes the gospel. And Paul said, my whole life now is wrapped up in making sure that other people know the message of God to them. So that they can have a choice of, will I serve and will I surrender to God or not? Totally up to you. But Paul's going to say, there is no greater, more fulfilling, more satisfying life than coming to a place where you are willing to surrender to the one who created you. And who created you with a specific purpose in mind. So that you don't live your life like many human beings have throughout life where they just wander. And sad to say, even like people of God who may have been saved, who may be delivered, but they never come to a place in their Christian walk or Christian life where they're truly surrendered. And so even for them, they live their entire Christian life just sort of wandering and spinning and never really getting anywhere, and getting any traction to really move forward. I love the fact that I have been placed within a body of believers here, that I hear from many of you, your own personal testimony of how you have grown and how God has, you know, changed and transformed your life and how, you know, you're not just sitting there wandering and spinning, but you know that you're making progress and you're moving somewhere. That's great. All I can say is keep it up. Keep on that path of surrender to God. Then he goes on to say, this gospel, again, was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, Paul's saying, I didn't come up with this message that I sent to share. This isn't, you know, coming from me. This came from God, even in the Old Testament, through the prophets. And this message concerns his son, Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David with reference to the flesh... And who also was appointed the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Paul simply saying, and this message centers on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. You and I cannot take Jesus Christ out of our faith. Our faith collapses without Jesus Christ. And it is so unlike any other world religion that's ever been created by man rather than revealed by God. Because you can take prominent personages or figures out of other world religions, and that religion will still stand in its basic element. For instance, you can take Muhammad out of the Muslim faith, and the Muslim faith still stands. You can take even Buddha out of Buddhism, and the elements of Buddhism still stand. You can't take Jesus Christ out of Christianity. There is no Christianity. There is no faith apart from Jesus Christ. It all centers on him. And so Paul is saying, this is the message. 
And it's not a message about this and that. It can literally be, it can be brought down to a message about one person and our relationship and our fellowship with him, Jesus Christ. But notice what he says too at the end of verse 4. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the third word that talks about surrender in these seven verses. The first one was servant. The second one was apostle. Lord is the third word. Because that word means the one to whom I belong. The one who decides. The one who leads. The one who's in front that I'm following, not the other way around where I'm doing my life my way and I'm just asking Jesus to be okay with it and to follow me. No, the word Lord means he leads, he decides, he goes before me. I belong to him. Again, there are many Christians just like the Israelites in Egypt who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they've never really surrendered to His Lordship and let Him truly lead their life. They're saved, but not surrendered. And Paul is saying, I want to introduce you to Jesus because you will find that there's no greater Lord No greater master, no one that I could serve and spend the rest of my life serving than Jesus Christ. He's our creator. He's our savior. And yes, he's our Lord. If you've met him as your savior, have you met him as your Lord? Verse five, through him. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. Notice the fourth term here of surrender. The obedience of faith. Paul says, here's why God sent me with this message. He sent me so that it will bring about obedience of the faith. That's the whole purpose. It's not so that we can enter into a relationship with God, have our sins forgiven, know that when we die, we're on our way to heaven. That's all good, but then basically live the rest of our earthly life how we want to. Paul said, well, no, that, that's, that's not our worldview. That's not the framework that God built for Christians to to live, and, and that's why in their life, a lot of stuff isn't going to make sense, or, or it's going to be very confusing, or lack clarity, or they're going to have a real hard time finding solutions to their problems if they're not living surrendered and obedient of their faith. The word obedient, the words obedient of faith here mean, first of all, to be an attentive listener. It's one who literally sort of has their ears, you know, tuned to to hear the voice of their leader, their, their Lord, their God. And to be very attentive because, again, it reminds us that 
if I really am interested in what God has to say, then won't I sort of sit up and perk up and, and really be engaged when he's speaking to me? If I don't really care what God has to say, and I'm not really interested in following or surrendering, then when he speaks to me, I'm going to disengage. I might, I might have my head to where it looks like I'm engaged and my eyes are open and I'm not snoring or anything. But I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home, uh, what I've got planned for next week, uh, you know, what my schedule is or something like that. And I'm not really going to zero in and be an attentive listener. And the other concept of this word means to be an attentive listener who, in a sense, subordinates or subdues my will to his. Going back again to that concept of surrender, the obedience of faith. One who's compliant. It's one thing for God to tell us, here's what I want you to do, here's my will. It's another thing to be willing to do it. And again, God will never force us. God will never hold a gun at our back. God will never, you know, say, hey... This is what you have to do. But God will say, this is what you should do. Will you do it? Will you surrender? So he talks about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. Then in verse 6, you also are among them called to belong to Jesus Christ. There's another phrase, belong to Jesus Christ. Surrender. You see, one of the concepts that we have to remind ourselves of as Christians that's clearly contained in the Bible is that when we are saved, the Bible clearly says we are not our own. Paul says to the Corinthians, we have been bought with a great price. The price of the very blood and lifeblood of God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, when we say, Jesus, I want you to save me, then we also better know that what we are also saying is, God, I'm no longer mine. I'm yours. And if we don't understand that part of the gospel then here's what's happened. Either we are getting a deficient gospel or an insufficient gospel when we as Christians claim to come to Christ in our personal faith. Somehow there's a disconnect in our churches today amongst pastors and teachers and Christians about this whole concept, again, about what salvation really is and really means. Because if we think somehow that salvation biblically means I can accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, but then my life and how I want to live it on earth is my own and I get to make my own choices and I get to lead my own life and be my own Lord somehow then you haven't understood the gospel because the gospel teaches us that if we're going to say Jesus I want you to save me for all of eternity I want you to forgive me of all my sin past present and future I want you to set me on a path that eventually the destiny will be heaven. But my life's my own. And I can do whatever I want. There's a disconnect. 
There's a disconnect. We belong to Jesus Christ. We don't belong to anyone else or shouldn't. But we belong to Jesus Christ. That's a term of surrender. And then one other one. Notice he says in verse 7, Do all those loved by God called to be saints. That word saint is another term of surrender because the word means God's choice instrument. See, a saint is a word that describes a person that God can and wants to work through. And God really wants to work through all of his people. But many aren't surrendered to him for him to be able to use them to the degree or to the, the extent that he wants to. It all goes back to surrender. Am I surrendered to God's purpose? Am I saying, God, here's my life. You do with it whatever you want. And when we get to that point of surrender, that's what a saint is. See? A saint is someone who places themselves in the hands of God. Again, willingly, voluntarily, not being forced to, but says, here God, I'm yours. If this is the path you have for me, great. If that's your will for me, great. I'm, I'm a saint. I belong to you. I'm your servant. I'm, I'm obedient to the faith. It's all about surrender. I belong to you. My life is no longer mine. It's yours, God. Do with me and do with my life whatever I want. You're not going to hear that a lot today. In most churches, you're not going to hear messages of surrender. Because most people, again, either have a very deficient or insufficient understanding of the gospel and salvation. For them, they'll talk about all the great things like, oh, give your heart to God and let him save you and forgive you of all your sin and set you free and, and get you on your way to heaven. But you never hear about the other part. And then they wonder why they wander and why they spin and why they can't make sense of life and why they have very hard time finding solutions to life's problems. Because Paul is saying to us that our worldview should not only include salvation, but it also must include surrender. That's where it starts. In fact, notice from Paul's own personal Testimony in verse 13, he tells the Romans, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often intended to come to you. In other words, I really wanted to come and visit Rome. But notice he says, I've been prevented until now. Well, who prevented him? God. In other words, as a surrendered saint, he's saying, look, this is what I wanted. But I wasn't going to knock the door down. I wasn't going to make something happen. I was going to let God be in charge and let God's timing be God's timing and let him bring me to Rome when he wanted to, not when I wanted to. That's surrender. That's surrender. And can I say that when Paul finally did get to Rome, 
He didn't get to Rome the way he thought he was going to get to Rome or how he was going to get to Rome. You know how Paul got to Rome? In chains. As a prisoner. That wouldn't have been in Paul's plan, but that was in God's plan. And he was surrendered to what God's will was. Read the last chapter of the book of Acts, right before the book of Romans. It talks about Paul's house arrest in Rome for a couple of years and the fact that when he got there, he came in chains. Because Paul was surrendered. So therefore, he got to Rome when God wanted him to and he got there the way God wanted him to, not the way he wanted. And God used him greatly while he was in Rome. So we see... Paul starting out this great book, declaring our Christian worldview, laying the foundation of surrender. But he also mentions something else beautifully here in these first verses of chapter 1. And something that he ties to surrender that I want to share with you in closing today. And that is that Paul also says that when one is surrendered to God then one is drawn into intimate fellowship with other believers. See, for Christians today to say, I'm surrendered to God, but I'm out here on my own, doing my own thing, Paul would say to them, he would, he would challenge that right away. He would say, no, because the gospel says, God's message says, that if one is truly surrendered to God then one is going to make themselves available to be used by God to build up their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what we see tied together here in these first couple of verses of chapter 1 so beautifully. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. I'll begin there. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. God, whom I serve in my spirit by preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness that I continually remember you. And I always ask in my prayers that perhaps now at last I may succeed in visiting you according to the will of God. Notice, for I long to see you. Those words speak about an intense desire. In other words, we would maybe use the words, my heart aches for you. Think about that. That's Paul's feeling about his brothers and sisters in the city of Rome. He says, my heart aches for you. I have this intense desire to be with you. Where does that come from? Surrender to God. Because when we are surrendered to God, we will be naturally then drawn from that surrender towards each other. Not away from each other, as many Christians want to claim today. Because again... Their worldview or their perspective is warped. Why? Because you'll hear things like, well, I don't need to worship with other people. I can worship God on my own. That's not biblical. That's not part of the worldview that God has set down. You see, what Paul is saying is, if I'm surrendered to God, 
I begin to realize that I actually have a duty and an obligation to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not for what I can get from them, but what I can give to them. So that's why it's a totally unbiblical argument when Christians say, I don't need to be part of a local church. I don't need to serve in a local church. I don't need to be connected to believers in Christ. I can do this all on my own. That's a very can I say, narcissistic, self-centered view of of what God's worldview is totally the opposite of. Because notice what Paul goes on to say here. Notice what he says, verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Notice the word impart. It means to give, to share. In other words, Paul's saying, my intense desire, my heart aching to come to Rome isn't so that you can give to me. It's so that I can give to you. That's what it's all about. And yet we have created a culture within Christianity where Christians that are looking for local churches to be a part of and looking for fellowships and Bible studies to get, you know, in what's the, what can they do for me? What can I suck out of them? Not, I want you, God, to lead me to someone or a group where you can use me to strengthen them, where I can be used to, to help their spiritual progress and their spiritual growth. Use me, God, to strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to be a giver, not a taker. That's when we know we're surrendered to God. And I love that when he says, I want to impart some spiritual gift. And, and that doesn't mean that Paul's talking about a specific spiritual gift. It means one that's related to our inner spirit. In other words, Paul's basically saying, I want to impart something that's going to help them spiritually. And then he goes on to, to sort of define that further, to strengthen them. I want you, God, to use me to make my brothers and sisters more strong, more firm, more stable. To feel more supported. That's what it means, you see. When we're surrendered to God, it also means we're drawn to each other in that way. And then he says in verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's saying a couple things there. First of all, he's saying that this is going to work both ways. Yes, I'm coming to give, but I realize that I'm going to receive a blessing from you too. And think about what Paul's saying, because most Christians would be like, oh my goodness. Like if Paul, if Paul was able to be alive today and say, come to the Oasis for a weekend, we'd all be like, oh, Paul, Paul, I want to hang around Paul. It's going to be so cool to hang around the Apostle Paul, and, and I'm sure I'm going to gain so much from Paul. Do you know in Paul's humility what he would say to us? Yeah, you, you know what? You might gain something from me and I might be able to encourage you in some way and strengthen you, but you know what? You're going to encourage me too. See, we don't, sometimes we don't think of it that way. And yet, when, when it works the way God designed it to work, that's exactly the way it works. That's the way it's working here. That's why those of us say, in this body of believers... We're mutually encouraging 
each other. And by the way, those words mean to be intimately connected to each other. We can't mutually encourage each other from a distance. It, it has to be that we're together with each other, spending time together. It's over that time that we spend together that we are mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And then finally, notice what Paul says. He says, so that I may have some fruit, verse 13, even among you, just as I already have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and foolish. Notice that word debtor. Paul says, I am bound by duty. I am bound by obligation towards other people. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I'm in debt to God. Because guess what? We could never pay our debt to God. That's why we are saved by grace through faith. That's why people who try to work their way to heaven or be good enough to somehow pay a debt that they somehow think they owe to God will never get there because we'll never be able to pay our debt to God. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that the debt was paid by him, not by us. I never have to pay my debt to God, but when I'm saved by God and I'm surrendered to God, I begin to understand I do have an obligation and a duty to other people. That's what it means to be surrendered. That's why I try to encourage Christians, be faithful to the house of God. Come, be amongst each other. Because it's not about you being part of this body. It's about what you can strengthen and encourage other people. And when you're not here, we're missing out on what you could give to us. And let me just say it again. We have a duty and an obligation to be involved in each other's lives. We're going to be held accountable one day by God to Did you feel that sense of duty and obligation to each other? Or was it no big deal that you never served and never got involved in other Christians' lives and never were faithful to a local church and never got connected? See, it goes back to our surrender. And so Paul is weaving these two beautiful concepts together in this passage by saying this. Are we like the Israelites of old? Have we been saved out of Egypt, but we're wandering? Because we're saved, but we're not surrendered. And Paul is clearly laying out right at the very beginning of this letter. It all starts with surrender. Because that will prevent us from wandering. And that will get us to where we need to be. That will get us to what we were made for. That will get us to that place of fulfillment and satisfaction that wandering and a lack of surrender never will. And as we more and more surrender to God, then we will more and more understand that we have a duty and an obligation towards each other. And it's not about getting, it's about giving, and it's about sharing. And again, I just want to say thank you all 
for being a group of people that you have, you got it and you're getting it. Because this fellowship, when it comes together, for the most part, you all are sharing with each other and giving of yourself to each other in so many ways. And not even just within this body, but like last night I was reminded at our foster group home meeting of just how much this church has given to those young boys. That's the way it should be. That's the way God designed it. But we'll never get to that place or we'll never stay in that place if we don't stay surrendered to God. Next week, on Easter Sunday, Paul's going to continue this great letter, but he's going to talk to us about the good news that God is a God of reality. And he's going to move from talking about surrender and service to how important it is that our God be a God of reality and what's that mean to us. Let's close in prayer. As the worship team comes this morning and gets assembled here on on stage, the first song that we're going to sing is called Open Hands. And as we stand and sing this song in just a minute, I want us to think about, obviously, the words of this song, and, and I want us to think about it in the context of this message this morning. Especially the part about longing to be with each other. Having that intense desire to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not so that I can get, but so that I can give. So that I can share. So that I can live my life with open hands from the blessings and resources and spiritual gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to me. And so God can use our lives as brothers and sisters to bless one another, to strengthen one another, to mutually encourage each other as we come together and stay and get intimately connected to one another. So I want us to think about what does that mean for me then? What specifically is God speaking to me about this morning? As I sing a message of open hands, how does he want me to serve? Have I been resisting an area of service that God wants me to get involved in? Maybe I've been in an area of service, but I'm getting a little discouraged. Maybe God just wants me to sort of just say, hey, God, I need to start doing this more in your strength. And I need to recommit myself to that area of service. Maybe there's some specific person or some specific need that God is laying on your heart. All I want us to do today, whatever that looks like at first, is just to say, God, I surrender. I surrender to what you want me to be in this body. What you want me to be in this life. And it's not about what I want, God. It's not about what I think. It's not about me starting down a path and then making sure that you're willing to follow me. And to buy into my will for my life. It's about me following you. And saying, God, I'll be okay with whatever your will is for my life. So let's stand. And let's sing this song as a song of worship today to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.